0: There are certain stories in the Bible that stand alone. A lot of stories in the Bible. But there are only a handful of stories in the Bible that, if you know the name of that story, you know what it's about. And you know the character of the people who are involved in that story. What I mean is, there are some stories in the Bible that are so. They are so that hmm, they speak with such power that if you just say the name, you understand something of what the story is about. You've got uh, David and Goliath. You've got Cain and Abel. You've got Abraham and Isaac. Tucked away here in a relatively little-known corner of the Old Testament, you have the story of Samson and Delilah. There are people out there who never come to church who know this story. There are people out there who don't know the Lord. They know this story. There are people out there who never read the Bible. But they know the story of Samson and and Delilah. Why does this story grip us? Because it is a classic human drama. And I dare say you could search all the pages of, not just the Bible, but you could search all the pages of human literature. You'd be hard-pressed to find a story more gripping, more down-to-earth, more real than the story of Samson. And Delilah. Know this story. And you know the essence of who Samson is. And you know the essence of who Delilah is. Above everything else, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters this morning, this story is a cautionary tale. A cautionary tale. It is a story which is altogether true. Yet, it has become legendary. It has been told and retold and told again throughout the course of a hundred generations. It is a story that fathers tell their sons and mothers tell their daughters and Sunday school children learn soon after they start coming to church. Just to know this story is to know something important about life itself. And you know what? If I were going to put a... a, a a little tagline over this story in Judges 16. I think I would call it, Didn't you used to be Samson? Didn't you used to be a great man? Weren't you once a great leader? Didn't you once slay the Philistines? Didn't you once grab those foxes and set those tails on fire and and, and laugh while they burned up the orchards of the Philistines? Oh, Samson... You were a judge of Israel. Oh, Samson, you were such a mighty man. What a shock. What a fall. He was a household name. In Israel, everybody knew Samson. Everybody knew of his exploits. Everybody knew of his legendary feats of strength. Everybody knew how he had made fools out of the Philistines again and again and again. And you know what? You know what, folks? Turn the corner now. Maybe the most striking thing about this story is when it happened. Here is Samson as a young boy. Here is Samson as a young man. Here is Samson as he enters into adulthood. Now watch this. Everything that your pastor has been teaching you about Samson has dealt with his boyhood. His young manhood and his entrance into adulthood. Now, between last week's sermon and this week's sermon, 20 years have passed. The last sermon you heard, Samson was about 20 years old. When you pick up the story here in Judges 16, 20 years have passed. He is now 40 years old. He is at the very height of his career. He is at the pinnacle of his fame. You know what? Samson is about to go down. And when he goes down, he's going to land hard. And what is really shocking about this story is that Samson was tricked in the end by the same thing that tricked him in the beginning. And in that one fact is the shock and the surprise. Or maybe, maybe we would say this morning, maybe there is no shock or surprise. The very same thing he struggled with at the beginning. That thing reached out and bit him on the heel and finally brought him down. So if you've got your Bibles, let us now begin to look at Judges chapter 16. Immediately, immediately, right out of the box, we all think this is about Samson and Delilah. And yet, in the first three verses of Judges 16, there is something different. There's first the story, and it's a compressed story. It's the story of Samson and the prostitute. Verse 1 of Judges 16, Samson went down to Gaza. That's not just a geographic term. Gaza was a Philistine city. Wasn't just a Philistine city; it was the capital of the Philistine. Um, it was the capital of the Philistine people. They had a temple there. They had their their god Dagon there. Samson. He went down. He left the people of God, and he went into enemy territory. He left the worship of God, and he went into the region where the idols were worshipped. Samson's story begins. Because he goes to a place he did not belong and where he had no business. There he saw a prostitute, a woman, who would sell her body for money. He saw her. He wanted her. He went in to her. A couple of things here I need to say. we got to get to Delilah. We'll get to Delilah in a minute. But you don't really understand Delilah until you understand what's happening here in these three verses. The timing of this story is very crucial. It's critical. It comes after 20 years of judging Israel. And this little affair with the prostitute, you know we use the phrase one night stand that's what this is. This is a true one night stand it's Samson, the mighty man of God, going down to the wrong place, at the wrong time, for the wrong reason into the prostitute having sex with her the next morning before the other Philistines could get up He rips off the city gate. That's about 700 pounds. And he carries it to the mountain outside Hebron as if. And and he he sets it up on the mountain where all the Philistines could see it. As if to say, see, you can't stop me. Now, you you got Judges 16, right? So just go back. Just flip back one page. Back to the last verse of Judges fifteen. Last verse. We we overlook this verse. We pay no attention to it. That's a mistake. Judges fifteen twenty. Last verse says, Now Samson let Israel for twenty years in the days of of the Philistines. That's the kind of verse you could read that a hundred times and you wouldn't even think about it. But that verse really sets everything else up. What I'm saying is all these great exploits, plus all this trouble with the woman of Timnah, all that happened when he was either a late teenager or in his early twenties, some right in there, his early adulthood. All the stuff that you've been hearing about, that's 20 years ago. Now Samson, he is the judge of Israel. And for 2 years everything is good. For 5 years everything is good. And for 8 years everything is good. And for 10 years everything is good. And for 12 years everything is good. And for 15 years everything is good. And for 18 years, everything is good. And for 20 years, he's on top of the world. And for 20 years, he's walking the straight and narrow. For 20 years, he's doing it the right way. For 20 years, he's a true and honest and honorable man of God. You ask yourself, what happened when he turned 40? Well, I'll tell you what. He turned 40. That's what happened to him. The dreaded... Midlife crisis. Maybe he got bored. Maybe he was looking for something else. Maybe he couldn't find what he wanted. And all that peace and prosperity and the blessing of God that was upon him and upon his nation, that wasn't enough. Hey, and don't you know this? Don't you know this? That when Samson turned 40, 20 years of success, and 20 years of never falling into this kind of gross sin. Don't you know that his buddies, I mean the guys he grew up with, don't you know they said, well, he's conquered his problems now. Don't you know they said things like, when he was growing up, he had quite a temper. Back in those days, you didn't want to get him mad at you. Don't you know they said, he used to be the biggest skirt chaser in town. Don't you know they said, well, I guess he finally grew up. It looked like Samson had finally put all of his problems behind him, but he hadn't. All he did was just push them under the surface. Uh, may I speak to you as friends? Just as friends. Hmm. Just because you're doing okay right now doesn't mean you've really solved all your problems. Right? Right? Just because you've gone five years doesn't mean you're going to go another day without making a life-destroying mistake. You know, it's very easy inside the church to take our problems and sweep them under the rug. And if we sweep our problems under the rug and then pat it down and then say some Bible verses over it, we can pretend to ourselves that everything is okay. You know, this used to bother me, but it doesn't bother me anymore. I mean, men are like that about stuff like pornography, you know, big problem in our society. That used to bother me, but I'm older now. It doesn't bother me anymore. You know, side note. Always bothers me. Always bothers me. Whenever I'm around a Christian and I hear them say something like this Well, I used to struggle with that sin. But that doesn't bother me anymore. I've conquered it. Red, red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Who was it who said, Lord, I don't know about all these other guys. They look a little shaky to me, but I will never deny you. Who said that? Five hours later, I don't know him. I don't know him. And cursing and swearing, I don't know that man. Be careful about claiming that you have conquered some sin and it will never bother you again. You don't know what you might do tomorrow under the right circumstances or under the wrong kind of pressure. Samson wanted to forget it's in the past, it's 20 years ago, but the jig is up, it's time to pay the piper, because he hasn't dealt with his problems, they're going to come up again, and this time they're going to destroy him. You see, Samson had a problem with women, and here's one of the ironies of his story, you read Samson's life story. He had a problem with Philistine women. He hated the Philistines, hated them with a cold, passionate hatred all his life. He hated the Philistines, and he couldn't keep his eyes off their women. You know what he wanted down in Gaza? He wanted what men always want, sex without commitment, a one-night stand with no strings attached. That's why there's stories in the Bible. Society tells us, go ahead. You can have a one-night stand. You can have your fun. You can walk away from it. You can just move on. The world says you can say it was just for fun. But that's that's not true. It's never just for fun. There is no such thing as sex without commitment. There's no such thing as love with no strings attached. That's what Samson is about to find out. That's the first three verses. We always skip over this, but we shouldn't. Because you know what this is? This is the little fall... That leads to the big fall. Okay? Now, Samson and Delilah. Sometime later. We don't know how long. He meets Delilah. What you have in verses 4-22, through 22, I'm going to call four steps to a hard fall. Four steps to a hard fall. Step number one, he got involved In another wrong relationship. Verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. There's a couple of puzzling things about this. Delilah is actually a Semitic name. I.e., it's a name that, that is related to Hebrew. It's not a foreign language name. It's a name that would be a common name. It means well. There's 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 a lot of it's something like delightful, maybe something like that. It's a Semitic name. She came. Watch this. She came from the valley of Sorek. That's all you need to know. Watch this. Here is Sorek. It's Philistine territory. Here's Zorah. That is Samson's hometown. They are right next to each other, and there's a valley in between. So in other words, she's like a hometown girl. She's not Hebrew, she's Philistine, but she's from just down the road. She's got a name that sounds like a Hebrew name. It's possible, we don't know this, it's possible Samson and Delilah somehow had had known of each other before. Look, Samson only got involved with three women in his life, three that we know of. All of them were Philistine women. First was the woman at Timnah, chapter 14. That's infatuation. Second was the prostitute at Gaza. That's lust. Third is Delilah in the Valley of Sorek. That's, well, it says he loved a woman. So we'll say that. He loved her. There's another whole sermon. So I don't have time to get into this. So we'll just do the preacher's shorthand version. There's a reason why the Bible says you, the people of God, are not to be romantically involved with unbelievers. You're not to be unequally yoked. You're not to date them with the view toward marriage. You are not to get involved with people who do not share your faith in and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I know, every once in a while somebody will say, well, so-and-so married an unbeliever and it turned out okay and he became Christian. Right? True. We thank God for every time that does happen. That tends to be the exception that proves the rule. Deeper, again, another whole sermon. I'll do very quickly here. How come, what is it about the Philistines that seems so exciting to the Israelites? What is it about the Philistines that made the Jewish boys look a little weak, a little boring, a little nerdy? What was it about those Philistine girls I mean, didn't they have beautiful Jewish girls? Sure they did. They loved the Lord and they would sacrifice and follow the law of the Old Testament. Well, how come you couldn't be satisfied with girls within your own family of faith? Because those other girls are flashy. Because they dress different. And they act different. And they talk different. And they live different. And they're not bound by all these other rules. Yeah, the people of the world always look more exciting than the people inside the church. Because they're not living by the same values and the same standards. And understand, whenever you get involved romantically with an unbeliever, the chances are far greater that that person's going to pull you down and pull you away from the Lord than the chances are you're going to pull them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So number one, he got involved in another wrong relationship. Number two, he began to toy with temptation. The story sets up this way. When Samson and Delilah began to get involved with each other. This is the international symbol for a guy and a girl getting involved with each other, okay? They're just getting involved with each other. You know, they're talking together and they're spending time together. And they're getting closer and closer and closer. And guess what? Here's here's what I think we know about Delilah. She's Philistine. Philistine. She's clearly smart. She's a good actress. She, uh, I think she was beautiful. I, I don't think she was any tugboat Annie. I mean, I think there was whatever it took to attract Samson to her. So she's a beautiful woman. And, get this, she was smart. And she liked money. Because the Philistine leaders came to her. And they said, we hear you got a thing going with Samson. Yeah? Well, we hate him. Okay? We'll pay you 1,100 shekels of silver per person. There were five Philistine rulers. Five times 1,100 is 5,500 shekels of silver. There's a little bit of a debate about how many shekels of silver, what that would be like in 2014. So I'm going to give you a range. Okay, a That's like somebody saying, if you'll find out the secret of Samson's strength, we'll give you, it could be $50,000. It could be $80,000. It could be $100,000. In other words, it was an enormous sum of money. And Delilah said, I'll take that deal. I'll take it. Smart girl. She wanted to make some money. Okay. This was a little investment opportunity for her. Okay? And they say, all you got to do is find out the secret of his strength. And it's interesting what she says to him. She says, her her first approach is straightforward. That's in verse 6. Now, Samson, she's talking to Samson. And she says, Honey, sweetheart, tell me, Where your great strength lies. And how you might be bound that one could subdue you. That's what you would call the pretty blunt approach, right? That's like like a wife saying to her husband, Honey, is our life insurance paid up? How about some arsenic and scrambled eggs for breakfast? This is the pretty much the straightforward and, and what's funny is Samson, watch this. Samson is so arrogant, and clearly he's an arrogant man. He is so arrogant, he thinks he's above temptation. He goes along with this. He says, Well, yeah, I'll play a little game here. And so he begins to, to say, Okay, here's what it'll do. Go get seven fresh bowstrings, like the bowstrings, bow and arrow, get seven fresh bowstrings that have never been dried. And bind me up with seven fresh fresh bowstrings, And that's the secret of my strength and I'll not be able to break out of it. So she goes and tells the Philistines, I got the secret. She gets him up in her bedroom or her inner chamber, however you want to say that. And the text says, the Philistine soldiers hid in another room. Now, now I don't know. How does this work out? The Samson doesn't even notice 20 or 25 soldiers coming into the room next to the bedroom there. I don't even understand that. So she ties him up and she shouts out, Samson, Samson, here come the Philistines. And he just breaks up, boom, just, just as if you had taken those bowstrings and put them uh, uh, under a little fire. They just, they just burned apart. Him. Boom. It didn't work. You know what? These two deserve each other. She's lying to him for money. He's lying to her for fun. This is, can I just say it to you this way? This is, the in Samson's mind, this is a parlor game that lovers sometimes play. It's nothing more than that to him. Second approach, verse 10. She gets the pouty upper lip and she says to him, you're mocking me. You think? You're making a fool out of me. Oh, really? And Samson says, look, look, look. I was just teasing with you, honey. But I'll tell you, get some new ropes that have never been used and tie me up with the new ropes. And and, and, and evidently, somehow, according to the text, the, the soldiers file back into place. Samson pays no attention. He doesn't notice it. He's into these games, these lover's games and all of that. Samson, here comes the Philistine. Just like these, just like seeing the cartoons. Tears the ropes off. Third approach. Ah, watch this now. Pay careful attention. Third approach. Honey, honey, I know you're playing with me. Tell me the secret of your strength. She tries to coax it out of him. Now, watch verse 13. If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web, that, that is that's the, the loom where you would do the, you, you would do, you know, you'd make a, The loom. Okay, the loom. Can't think of the right word there. I'm not a loom man, but the loom, you know, where you do the weaving. Okay, he's saying take my hair, which is long, remember, it's never been cut. Take my hair and tie it in there inside the womb, and then there's a pin that keeps everything straight. Take that pin and and pin my hair down there so that my head is back there against the loom. And look. He says, I shall become weak and like any other man. Question, question. What's just happened here? What's just happened? He's getting closer and closer and closer to the edge. You know, that's what happens when you start messing around with sin. That's what happens when you play with temptation. It's a little game here and it's a little game here and it's a little game here. And you know, you just experiment a little more and a little more and you get in trouble. That's how we all end up falling because it didn't hurt us here and it didn't hurt us here. and It didn't hurt us here. And suddenly we drive the car over the cliff. Well, Samson has just pulled the car up to the edge of the cliff and there are now two wheels over the edge of the cliff. He is teetering on the edge. Why? because the hair remember the cutting of the hair the keeping the hair long the Nazarite vow this was the true secret of his strength so he's right there he's just playing he's playing with fire it's like a lot of guys hey I got this under control hey hey who are you to talk to me that way I don't have a problem if I got a problem I'll let you know it's under control he was a cocky man the fourth approach And of course, you know, Samson, here comes the Philistines and he pulls his hair out of the loom and, you know. Now, she goes to the woman's ultimate trick here. Verse 16. She's going to nag it out of him. Verses 15 and 16. How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? Ugh! Ah! Ah! Hitting right below the belt there. How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You know what? Boy, I don't have time to get into this. But that's what the woman of Timnah said back in chapter 14. You don't really love me. And as a matter of fact, Samson didn't really love that woman back there. He doesn't really love Delilah now. He's just playing Around, You've mocked me these three times, and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, night after night, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Which means exactly what you think it means. She nagged him until he couldn't take it anymore. You know what? Samson could never keep a secret when it really mattered. He couldn't. In chapter 14, he can't now. Two women brought him down. One with a flood of tears. One with an avalanche of words. Third step to the great fall. He revealed his secret in order to save face. Now I want you to pay special attention to verses 17 and 18. He told her all his heart. Underline that or circle it or highlight it. He told her all his heart. Some translations say everything. Some translations say with sincerity. But I looked it up in the Hebrew this week, and this is a literal, correct translation. He told her everything that was in his heart. And look what he says, because she's worn him down with all this nagging. And he's been playing around anyway. So he just blurts it out. A razor has never come upon my head. True. I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. True. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And the great phrase there is a Nazarite to God. He blurted it out. You see, Samson is the perfect picture of a believer dabbling in the world. Perfect picture of a believer wandering away from God. Perfect picture of a believer who's got one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Perfect picture of a believer who on one level belongs to God and on the other level wants to sleep with the enemy. And Finally, the enemy wins that battle and he spills all his heart to her Look at verse 18. What's interesting to me in verse 18? When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart. Same expression. How did Delilah know that finally he had told the truth? Look on his face. The look of guilt and shame. And I think the phrase, Nazarite of God. As far as I can tell, until this moment, Samson had never even brought God into the conversation. Now he brings God into the conversation. Mighty late. Mighty late to do that. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. It's a hard world out there. The trap's everywhere. You better get the flag up high quickly. The flag that says I'm a Christian. The flag that says I belong to Jesus. The flag that says, I believe the Bible. You better get the flag up early. Samson waited way too late to tell the truth about himself. And when he finally told the truth, it was so late, it led to his own destruction. And in the classroom, and on the job, and in your neighborhood, and with your unsaved friends, you better get the flag up quickly so they know who you are and what you stand for. She sent and called for the Lord of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me. Look, it's a phrase the third time. All his heart. And it says the Philistine rulers came, and they brought the the 5,500 shekels of silver in their hands. Bags of money. Samson was sleeping with the enemy, and now he gives away the nuclear codes. Samson was not tricked. He's not like Eve who was tricked. He's like Adam. He knew what he was doing. He told her the secret to save face. To prove he really loves her. Get this. Why did he tell her? Because his passion has blinded his spiritual vision. So if you're writing notes, write this down. Samson was blind long before the Philistines gouged out his eyes. He was blind long before they gouged out his eyes. Look what happens now. He tolerates the temptation. He toys with the temptation. And finally, he tries the temptation. And one last little thing here. He's left the cat out of the bag. He's told her the truth. So she puts him to sleep on her Lap, Oh, what a scene that is. Talking and cooing. Singing to him. Playing with his hair. Playing kissy face with him. Oh, Samson, you're so strong. Oh, Samson, you're so mighty. Oh, Samson, now I know you really love me. And uh, he goes to sleep. I don't even know how to explain this next part. They shaved his head while he was asleep. How does that happen? Wouldn't you wake up? If you've if you got this long flowing hair and suddenly, they're sh- and they're shaving it bald, right? Wouldn't you wake up? No, I don't know, maybe what he'd been drinking or whatever, so. I can't explain that, I don't know. Saddest verse. Perhaps the saddest verse in the whole Old Testament is verse 19. He woke up. Samson, Samson, here come the Philistines. And he woke up, but this time his strength was gone. And look at verse 19. His strength left him. His strength left him. Verse 4, or number 4. He didn't realize what had happened until it was too late. Last phrase of verse 20, one of the saddest statements in the whole Old Testament. But he did not know the Lord had left him. Wow. Wow. F.W. Norwood said, quote, Life's greatest tragedy is to lose God and not to miss him. Do you see what's happening here? Delilah has done what the army of the Philistines could never do. She brought Samson down, and now he's weak as any man. Samson, unbeatable in combat, brought down like putty in the hands of a cunning woman. Brought down, brought down, brought down. What happens now is ugly. The Philistines have been waiting for 20 years to get their revenge. The Philistines, verse 21, seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. Four things they did to him. First is mutilation. They gouged out his eyes. The second is deportation. They took him down to Gaza. Third is incarceration. They bound him with bronze shackles. Fourth is humiliation. They set him to grinding in the prison with the slaves and the prisoners. So they bound him. All that lovely hair is gone. His head has been shorn. His eyes gouged out. By the way, by the way, what was it that kept getting him in trouble anyway? His eyes. His eyes kept getting him in trouble. Now they are gone forever. On his hands and knees, the mighty Samson pushes the pole that powers the press that grinds the grain. Oh, how the mighty are fallen. The empty sockets in his eyes bear mute testimony to his unfaithfulness to God. Samson, Samson, Samson. How could you end like this? Verse 22 contains the only note of grace in the whole story. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Two lessons for today and we're done. Two lessons for today. We'll wrap it up. Lesson number one, unless we deal with our problems, they will come back to haunt us again and again, and again. Unless we deal with our problems, really get down to the core issues of life, and not stop sweeping them under the rug, unless we really deal with our issues, they're going to come back and haunt us again, and again, and again. I think it was that great theologian, Clint Eastwood, who said, a man's got to know his limitations. Unless you face your limitations deal with your struggles and face your problems, you're going to come back and do the same dumb thing over and over and over again. Just because we have conquered a certain sin doesn't mean it will stay conquered forever. Ah, a lifetime of obedience can be ruined in one moment of sinful Passion. He threw away twenty years of success. The night he went down to Gaza, that inflamed his passions, that enraged the Philistines, and that set him up for the affair with Delilah. Right over this whole story, two verses. Number one is Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride goes before destruction; a haughty spirit before a fall. Number two, First Corinthians ten twelve: Therefore, if any man thinks That he's standing firm. Let him take care lest he fall. That's number one. If we don't face our problems, they will come back to haunt us again and again and again. Number two, unless we learn the difference between being empowered by the Spirit and controlled by the Spirit, we will fall just like Samson did. You ever wondered how it is every once in a while we hear about these great preachers sometimes pretty famous who fall into moral sin got their hand in the till they're sleeping around having some kind of affair they're a, they're they're involved in some kind of pornography ring they're involved in sexual immorality Of the gross kind? You ever wondered how it is? How is it? I mean, and some of them are great preachers. And some of them are great pastors. And some of them, when they're found out, are leading big ministries. How is it possible that somebody could stand up and preach the Word of God and and be a leader and yet have terrible sin that they are covering up? Let me tell you. The answer is right here. It is possible to be empowered by the Spirit and yet never controlled by the Spirit. That evidently explains all of Samson's life. From time to time, the Holy Spirit would come and give him special power in combat. But you know what? There was never evidently a time when Samson could truly say, Lord, I give my life to you. I want to follow you. I want My life to be controlled by your Spirit. Years ago, I saw this, and I pass it around along for whatever it's worth. The truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. The truth will set you free, but it will hurt you first. The crucial moment in my life over a quarter century ago when I was going through a hard time, God put that in my path and that truth turned on the light and began a process of life change that has continued to this very day. That one principle explains why some people can come to good churches like Village Bible Church, I mean a really good church. It's possible to come to Village Bible Church for days and weeks and months and even years and never really be deeply changed because it's possible to go to Moody Church for years and never be deeply changed. It clearly was possible for some people to go to the churches I pastored for years and never really be changed. You see, if our problem was just knowledge, we'd all be We'd all be plaster saints by now. We got knowledge coming out our eyeballs. But one of the problems inside the evangelical church is we never let the truth get close enough to really hurt us, to challenge us, to change us. We put up the deflector shields, incoming, incoming, incoming. And so the truth bounces away. And so we come to church angry and go away angry. We come to church filled with bitterness and go away bitter. We come to church uh, uh, in in the grip of addictive behavior and we go away in the grip of addictive behavior. We come to church consumed with pornography and we go away from church consumed with pornography. And we say, how is that possible? It's not enough just to hear the truth. you got to have the courage to let the truth hurt you first. Samson who knew the truth of God, would never let the truth hurt him enough. The truth will set you free. But it will hurt you first. Samson thought he was free, but he wasn't. He was captive to his own runaway emotions. So here's the question. Are you willing to let the truth hurt you? Whenever you decide to say yes, The words of Jesus will come true, and the truth will at last set you free. Okay. I'm done, but for one last little word. We do need some good news, don't we? After a sermon like this, we need some good news. And it's that good news that comes at the very end of the passage. His hair began to grow Again, Samson has left the Lord. The Lord has not left him. Here is hope for Samson. Here is hope for backsliders. Here is hope for all the children of God. God intends to restore His straying children. God intends to bring the prodigals home at last. Where is the grace of God in all of this? In the end of the story, blind Samson returns to God. Where is the grace of God in this, all of this? The grace of God is in the fact that this story is in the Bible. Harsh and shocking as it is, it's a severe mercy to us that we might be warned so that by the grace of God, we might not make the same mistakes Samson made. So the last word of this story is not judgment, it's grace. Good news, hope for all of us. Was Corey Ten Boom loved to say this, there is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. Now, I'm going to have to end right there. Y'all come back next week And you're going to hear the story of the original Comeback Kid. The amazing final chapter of this amazing story. But I will end right here. Let's pray. Lord, we read this story and a thousand thoughts go through the mind. We watch Samson throwing his life away. And we say, how stupid. Grant, O Lord that we might have a better estimate of our own weakness. Help us to see that what happened to Samson could happen to any of us. Lord, how we need you. Oh, Lord, without you we'll never make it. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, because we need you more than we know. Come, Lord Jesus, and heal us on the inside. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for grace that is greater than all our sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are there when we need you the most. For it is in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.